we have actually had Valentine's Day this week. So looking through the card collection in Sainsbury's, and they've got a card that you can give to just about almost anyone. Um, we've got Galentine's, um, send your bestie one, one for your pet, and obviously the, all the various variations of husband, wife, partner, etc. Um, but with all this time, I can't help but feel that it's somehow trivialised what love is. We use the word love in our everyday language. Um, I love your outfit, I love that band, that music, that car, those shoes, and we're often very quick to say it. You know, we sign off messages, love you, um, much love. And maybe this morning we should ask ourselves, what does it look like to love like Jesus did? Loving like Jesus is our title this morning, and it's the title that I find my, myself staring at when I was given the job of doing the speech. And I thought, yes, that's a great title. It's so much better than the one that's next week. Uh, but then I read our passage. And for those of you who are not aware, um, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is our second session. And today's is a tricky passage. And when you first read it, um, you do get a bit lost in the law, it's that murder, anger, and adultery. And I thought, how on earth is this going to make up a message about love? But when we read it in context, in line with the rest of the Bible, and taking time to consider it, it's a passage that speaks right to our very heart, our attitude, and it really does help us to love like Jesus. So let's turn there to Matthew 5, uh, verse 17. We're going to read it all together here. Thought it was important, in my real Bible, not just read it out from a, a copied and pasted text this morning. Just excuse my page turning and have to give for the small writing. So, Matthew 5, um, verse 17. So, if you um, weren't with us two weeks ago when we uh, started off uh, uh, this uh, uh, series, um, the first passage that we looked at last week, uh, sorry, two weeks ago, included um, the Beatitudes. Sorry, I always get that word wrong. Um, the bit about salt and light. And so we're following on from there in the teaching that Jesus gave. So verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophet. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and on earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But for whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rapper, is answerable to the Sahedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gifts at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
fear to go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly um, with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may have hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge out gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. I did warn you, it's a heavy passage. So the first section of this passage highlights why Jesus came. Back to the beginning of it in verse 17. He came to fulfill the law. And we know that the whole of the Old Testament points towards the coming of Jesus. And Jesus didn't by any means come to make the Old Testament irrelevant. He came to fulfill it. He confirms that everything that was written is true. And it means we actually have to listen and pay attention to it. We can learn from it. The practical comment of how we should be paying attention to the law follows in verse 20, where Jesus tells us that our righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as we know, um, they're the religious teachers of the time, and to some extent, they were looking at the people that knew the scriptures the most. They're the people that followed them to the letter of the law. They knew the right things to say, they prayed, they fasted, they followed religious ceremonies and practices. But what Jesus is trying to teach us is that it's not just a knowing and an understanding of what's important, it's an actual part of the truth. He's saying that knowledge on its own is not enough. Outward appearances are just not going to cut it. And that's a challenging statement, especially today. Um, I'm sure many of you use Instagram, or if not, you'll have heard of it. Um, and some of the video clips or pictures I particularly enjoy is when someone creates um, the Instagram worthy picture. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's the, you know, the perfect picture that's captured that great moment that looks pristine, it looks, you know, picture perfect. But they also show you um, a reality behind it. So I've got an example for you. Here's my Instagram worthy picture. A very sweet picture, you've got to admit, of Jonah and Rosie in a very large box. But there's a reality behind that picture. We've got the next one. Here it is. For those of you who can't tell, that is an R with a cross um, through it. Uh, to give you a bit more context, um, no Rosies allowed. You know, not everything is first as it seems. For many people who use social media, they give a one-sided view into their life. It could be through rose-tinted glasses, all the good bits, all the smiles, none of the trials. But what Jesus emphasizes about the Pharisees is they might be all appearances and seem to know the right answers. But where their hearts are at isn't in line with that at all. So Jesus has told us that he's come to fulfill the law and that we should be still following him. So, which commandment, we all know, um, does Jesus tell us is the most important? 
let's take a look at which one is the most important in Matthew 22, verse 36. So which is the greatest commandment in your law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the laws that we obey should be seen through the lens of love. It's not just enough follow the rules and know the right answers. But our heart should be in a good place about that too. And Romans 13, uh, verse 8, confirms that for us. Um, I think the title, the, the title of that chapter says, Oh, love fulfills the law. Let no doubt remain outstanding. Debt remain outstanding. Accept the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one, one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. If you ever needed to see a scripture written twice, this bit really does sum up all that we've heard in our section of the Sermon of the Mount. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You know, generally, I think for most of us, we can say we're law-abiding citizens. Maybe even for people outside the room, generally most people follow the law. It's a minority of people who might have broken it. But what Jesus wants for us is far beyond that. The phrases that come to my mind are above reproach, not even a hint of immorality, and that's great too and important, but there's more depth to our actions than just why we do. Um, there's more depth to our actions than just what we do. The question is, why do we do what we do? What emotions and feelings do we have um, before we act? What comes from within us? Where is our heart at? Where's your heart at? You know, when we accept Jesus into our lives, into our hearts, we accept he loves us. We welcome him into our lives and hearts, and he wants us to know that we're loved. We don't have to do anything to earn that love. God gives it to us freely. The call is then to love God and to love others. But you know, we don't need to strive to be able to love. God gives freely his love to us. And we are to take it to others to give it freely to them. Let's get to 1 John 4, verse 7. And I am only going to actually read a small uh, chunk of this passage because I could have read it all, but we, we, we shortened time this morning. Um, so we 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
So we've got God's love within us. And this good affects us. It should cause us to live differently. Um, on a Thursday, I've already mentioned, um, I work for the church, I'm a children's worker, and on a Thursday, um, I bring Rosie to work with me. Um, part of my job is running um, a toddler group, they call it Kids in Cakes, it's central, uh, like central Manchester toddler group, and it reaches out to the local community around them. And having Rosie with me causes me to do my job differently. You know, I can't sit down and do the office-based tasks on the computer because Rosie just does not sit still. I'm sorry that you don't need me to tell you that this morning. Uh, but it does also allow me to speak to the mums differently. When she said, somehow I'm an equal, I'm a peer, we're in it together. It's tangible when they can see her with me. And God's love should be affecting you too, leading you and guiding you, I wonder if I can be so bold to challenge you, is God's love as evident in your life as a toddler is following someone around? Let's not put our walls up. Let God's love mold your heart. Let his love influence your thoughts and actions. Um, let's go back to our original passage uh, in Matthew 5. Um, so I mentioned that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is encouraging us to think about the emotions behind our actions. And here's how he does that in verse 22. It says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rapper, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be put in danger of the fire of hell. So there are a couple of ways of looking at this verse. And the first in which you think, well, anger might lead to murder. And so, therefore, let's stop the anger before it gets completely out of hand. You know, and if you take that view, I think it leaves us feeling, well, surely I can do a little bit of anger without murdering anyone. Is this me? But if you consider the most important word that Jesus highlighted, if you consider the heart behind it, well, a love-focused attitude that Jesus is trying to teach us well, anger is not loving. It doesn't show my husband God's love if I'm angry with him. It doesn't show the people in the office love if I'm angry with them. It doesn't show that driver um, that took that corner a little bit too quickly um, any kind of love if I'm angry at him, if I complain. You know, the examples are endless, but the truth stays the same. Anger can feed so seeds for further consequences even if it's not evident in that moment. As the more we allow something into our lives, the more ordinary it becomes. You know, there is so much we can learn from this passage, and I probably skipped a whole load, but um, we are limited to time. And I think that's really evident um, for those of us who are in homes when we discussed the first bit. Um, there was just so much, and I think maybe we left with more questions than we did answers. Um, but that's the amazing thing about God's Word. There is just so much and um, so there's another point we can miss uh, when we're considering how to love like Jesus. It's reconciliation. So back to Matthew, uh, verse 22 this time. Um, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Second Matthew, quickly 
Ed, with your daughter who is taking this talk, to do it while you are still together on the way. Or your daughter may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Reconciliation is a really powerful thing. When you look up what it means, you get a whole range of definitions. And then if you meet, perhaps you might start wondering, are reconciliation and forgiveness, well, are they the same? Um, my mind was a bit blown when I was researching this. But forgiveness is slightly different because forgiveness happens when you stop blaming or being angry with something, uh, someone for something that person has done. So forgiveness can be one-sided. And I have forgiven you for eating my cake, but you might go and eat my cake again. Or you might not actually be sorry for eating my cake at all. Reconciliation, however, requires both sides to make peace. It requires a relationship to be restored. And so it goes beyond forgiveness. In both the situations, the passage mentions, we could read it, um, that it's the brother or sister that's got something against you. It's somebody else taking you to court. You could almost question, well, are we really the guilty party in those statements? But it doesn't matter. Regardless, it's our responsibility to make amends. We might be the non-guilty party, but it's our job to act differently. God made the ultimate sacrifice for us when he sent Jesus, his only son, um, to die for us, just as I read out in 1 John 4. Um, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It doesn't matter to God what mistakes we make. He loves us anyway. He loved us enough to send Jesus. So for us, loving like Jesus, looks like making peace with your brother or sister, despite whose fault it is. Despite what happened or who is to blame. It's going beyond forgiveness and a restoring of a relationship. You know, the example I gave of Kate is massively trivial. And there are obviously far more challenging situations that people need to make peace about. There are broken family relationships, really hurtful actions from others. But reconciliation is also for the everyday. And when we practice these things um, in the small and in the everyday, um, it better equips us for when we're dealing with larger, more challenging situations. And the same can be said about anger. And as well, um, if we were to look more in more detail about the next example, about adultery, a lot might seem harmless, but it's a risk. What consequence could follow? What seeds or weeds are being sown into your life that might trip you up further down the line? And how might that affect the other person in the relationship? It's not honouring and it's not showing love. Marriage is supposed to be a reflection of God's love for the church. And God's eyes would never wander from us, not even for a moment. We as King's Church believe that we are love lovers loving others. We're loved by God, we're the lovers of God, and therefore we can love others. And the order of that is really important too. Jesus knew that he was loved by the Father. He loved God and he takes that love and is showing us how to love. He's the perfect example of living a loving lifestyle. He epitomizes what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. And I know we've all heard um, this read before, particularly at weddings, but I'm going to read it to us. And as I read it, I want you to, to really think about loving in the everyday. 
how does this affect me? How can I do that in the everyday? How do I love my brothers, my sisters in Christ, my neighbors? Um, how can I do it through learning from Jesus' actions, loving with my heart, an attitude really of love? So I'm going to read it to us to finish. And I just want you to really think about those things as, as I read it over us. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions, to, if I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship and that I may boast, for I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm just going to pray over us all um, as we end. I pray that we would um, love more like Jesus, that his love would have an effect on us. Um, but also, there is, uh, we mentioned about uh, anger um, and some other issues there. But if you do want somebody to stand with you to pray about those things, we're going to have someone at the prayer banner at the end. And we, do, we don't want you to go away without um, someone standing with you. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are love. We thank you that you are the biggest, the best, the greatest example that there ever will be, there ever could be of love. And Lord God, we pray that we would know your love more, that we would accept it into our hearts and lives, Father, and that it would have a tangible change in us. And Father God, I pray that as we go about our business, our days, that we would love like you love, Father, that we would not show anger, that we would not and be moral, Father, that we could be pure, that we could live with pure hearts. Father God, that we would love in a way that sheds light on you, that love that leads to you, Father. Father, I pray for anyone here who's struggling with any of those things that I mentioned, Father, and I pray that you would just help them, that God, that you would give them hope, that you'd help them overcome it, and that your love would just change them for the better, Father. Lord God, I thank you that in all things that you are God, that you are our king, you are our ruler. And God, we just give you all the glory. Thank you, Father. Praise your name. You are holy.